Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your hosts, Nat Strawn and Allie. Welcome back, haunties, to episode 161 of Let's Get Haunted, and welcome to our third episode of Spooky Season. For those who don't know, all month long, Nat and I are bringing you double the hauntings with regular episodes going up every Wednesday and bonus mini episodes going up each Friday. And as if that weren't enough to get you in the Halloween spirit, almost every episode going up in the month of October features a special guest from a paranormal podcast recommended to us by you, the listeners. For our first episode of October, we brought you the cursed tale of India's Bangar Fort featuring the lovely Emma from the podcast Real Life Ghost Stories. And this week, Nat and I are so excited to be joined by a man who needs no introduction, Derek of the podcast Monsters Among Us. Natalia, will you do us the honor of introducing this week's guest? I would love to. If you're a fan of the paranormal, this is a show you're definitely going to want to check out. Monsters Among Us podcast. Monsters Among Us is an enormous collection of firsthand paranormal accounts that detail experiences with ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, and more, told in the witness's own voice. Witnesses like Julie who drove past a car accident only to turn and realize a spirit had just joined her in her passenger seat. Or an anonymous caller who saw three strange entities in the woods moving in unison, then lost eight whole hours without explanation. Or Mac from Mississippi, who broke his back when he fell out of his tree stand only to be nursed back to health by a sympathetic Sasquatch literally. What? These tales of the supernatural are carefully collected and curated by host Derek Hayes and shared in the form of audio recordings that get straight to the meat of each terrifying story. Derek cultivates an atmosphere that is equal parts spooky and nostalgic. Think Unsolved Mysteries meets Art Bell. The show is appropriate for all audiences, and with a back catalog of over 300 episodes, it's definitely a binge-worthy podcast. Welcome to the show, Derek. We are so excited to have you on today, and I'm glad you could fit us into your schedule because I understand that you've been on the road a little bit. Yeah, well, first off, thank you so much for having me, and that was quite the introduction, so thank you. <laughs> you guys should come right for me. Uh, yeah, we, we just got back from Vegas. We went to the, uh, the uh, Zach Baggins Paranormal Museum over there uh, in Vegas, so yeah, we just got back yesterday, so a oh uh, little traveling. We're, we're in between seasons, so. Did you get to see the Dybbuk box? I did, yeah. Very quickly. They rush you in. They they rush you out, but I did get to lay eyes on it. Wait, they rush you in and, and out because it's so haunted or because there's so many people? That's a good question. Uh, a little criticism of the museum. A lot of the things I wanted to see, they're like, you get a quick look and you got to move on. And I don't know necessarily the reason for that. There was nobody behind us. There was no one in front of us. And we were a small group. So I don't know if it's for our protection or if it's don't look too closely. You might see behind the curtain kind of situation. I don't know what's going on over there, but it was a quick glimpse and we... And we kind of got ushered out of the room. So then you probably didn't even get a chance to get a feel for any of the haunted objects in there. Not necessarily, no. It's it's pretty quick. There was a few opportunities. Like we bought the the advanced package or the, the, you know, the bonus package where you can go into a few additional rooms. 
And we did get to go in the basement and stuff like that by ourselves, which was kind of nice. You could spend as long as you wanted down there. Uh, but they, they did have a, a spirit box down there at volume 11. Oh. So sitting down in that basement with like the loudest static you can imagine in your ear, like you can only be down there for a few seconds. <laughs> I definitely felt weird, but it, it might have been a, a radio issue rather than a ghostly issue. Right, an overstimulation issue. Perfectly put, yeah. So is the building actually haunted as well? Because why would they have a spirit box down there? We've we've talked about this, Zach Baggins' like Museum of Haunted Stuff on the podcast before, so... Um, our listeners know what it is. I'm just asking some questions that I have because I didn't like have any research about the actual building being haunted. Well, what they told us is that it used to be a mansion and there were mm-hmm. several families that lived there and a lot of deaths that occurred in the building. And then in maybe the 70s or something like that, it became a law office until Zach got a hold of it. So you go down to the basement and it does look like a creepy old brick basement mm-hmm. down there. Uh, it's definitely spooky looking. Now, whether or not that's truly uh you know 100 years old or whatever i don't know it was so dark you couldn't tell did they build that last month last year <laughs> who knows but uh i don't know there was a lot of backstory to it and i don't want to give too much away for anybody that might visit the museum but there certainly have been some deaths in the building according to them at least oh, wow. yeah i would imagine that people die in vegas all the time that's part of the experience i think <laughs> did the spirit box say anything while you were down there or was it just so loud you couldn't even process it uh, there were some words coming out that I couldn't make out, but it, like I said, it was so loud. I, I stayed down there as long as I could, and I'm like, oh, it's just too loud for me. I gotta, I gotta. It's a tiny, you know, eight by eight room with a boombox essentially playing in your ear, so mm. uh, you can only be down there for so long. But it, it definitely felt creepy down there. There was there was an odd feeling that took place, and I guess there was some sort of satanic rituals or something like that that took place back in the day. Whoa. And I guess the adult film actress, Jenna Jameson, used to live in this particular building. Wow. And she has all sorts of stories of her parents performing rituals and and things like that in that basement. So there is a tie to it somehow. Um, And it seemed to be true. They They had a picture of her brother's birth certificate there, and that address was listed. So What? There seemed to be something that backed it okay, up. Okay, when I was in high school, I read Jenna Jameson's like autobiography that she wrote, and maybe I'm forgetting something, but I don't remember one like mention at all of her parents doing satanic rituals. So I feel like I kind of missed out because that's really cool, and I would have liked to learn more about that. It's very interesting to me. That's probably not something you're quick to put in a <laughs> in a biography, I guess, but it's especially a self biography. But that's that's what the claim was there at the museum. So, out of all of the haunted places you've visited, because I know you've visited quite a few, what do you think stood? Which one stood out to you the most as being the creepiest, or maybe you got the most uneasy feeling? Man, there's there's so many. I'm I'm trying to think of something that really stuck. It. Anytime I go to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, I know it's not haunted. It's it's a monster. It's high strangeness, that kind of thing. But anytime I go there, I, I grew up near there. So anytime I, I uh, visit that area, there's always some strange feeling about the entire town. It's um, heavy, I guess is the best way to say it. It's just a, a, a general feeling that you pick up anywhere in that vicinity. And there's all sorts of tragedy that's taken place there. The Silver Bridge collapsed. Um the Revolutionary War began right there, I believe, or, or early parts of the war took place there. So hundreds, if not thousands of people have died, you know, on those grounds in different battles that have taken place. So there's definitely heaviness in that atmosphere. And plus all the Mothman stuff, of course, uh, in the Mothman sightings from the mid 60s. So that for me, that would probably be the place that gives me the, the willies the most. Uh, but I've been a lot of places that are a little unsettling. 
I think of like the Portland Underground. I did a tour there uh, a few years ago where they did the, you know, the the street level used to be a, a, a level below, I guess. And they raised it up at a certain point because of flooding. So now the old streets are just underneath Seattle, Portland, some of these cities like that. And you can actually do tours of these places. And you hear all these stories about opium dens and prostitution and murders and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So anytime you're in any of these places with tons of, you know, long forgotten history, it's just kind of seeps into your bones almost. Uh, you can't help but feel some of that stuff. Speaking of Mothman, uh, there was recently a sighting at the O'Hare Airport last month that I just saw in the news. There was a fireman who reported seeing the Mothman and he said, quote, I heard what sounded like a chirping sound followed by what sounded like shuffling coming from nearby. I looked around and that's when I heard the clicking coming from across the street. I looked up and standing on the edge of the HVAC plant was a very tall, thin, human-like creature with huge wings that were spread out. This creature was looking directly at me with a pair of large red eyes that had the intensity of a pair of tail lights or one of the lights on the engine. And then he told his co-workers about what he had seen. And regarding that, he said, quote, a few of them spoke up and said that this was not the first time that this creature had been seen and that it had been seen around the HVAC plant a few times by people and around the airport by hundreds of employees passengers and pilots now i don't know if you guys are aware of this but chicago is the new mothman hotspot for the last probably decade there has been numerous sightings of the mothman uh, you know in the skyscrapers downtown the o'hare airport area i think midway airport as well has a few sightings over there uh so the chicago seems to be the new hotspot for the mothman he maybe left appalachia he was going to the big city it's time for him to get a <laughs> A big city job, maybe. I don't I don't know what he's doing there, but uh, he's supposed to be a precursor. I, I say he like I know who he is. The Mothman's supposed to be a precursor to tragedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he supposedly predicted the Silver Bridge collapse in 1967. So if he's in Chicago, maybe that hints to the idea that maybe something bad may be happening there sometime soon. That or maybe he got an agent with his newfound uh, popularity and just going on a tour to every big city. Nice. That's what I thought. I can't wait till he comes to Southern California. <laughs> right. That's what I thought because he's like in every meme now. I mean, you know, everyone's all about Mothman. Maybe he was like, I need a new gig. Chicago's the place to be if you're in the Midwest. I mean, that's your mecca right there. Are you sensitive to the paranormal? Because it seems like your show, like we just read, is centered around all these first-person sightings. People tell stories in their own voice. You kind of sift through them and curate them for your audience. And I think that that's a really cool aspect of your show. Natalia and I often talk about how we love to hear what listeners have to say about their personal experiences because we don't really have any ourselves. Mm -hmm. We kind of are closed off to that realm for whatever reason, even though sometimes we think we would like to be able to see paranormal stuff. We just don't seem to be able to. So do you find that that's true for yourself or do you feel aligned with the people that call into your show in that you've also seen some pretty strange stuff firsthand? I've certainly seen some strange things in my life, um, things I can't explain. Mm. I don't know that I'm sensitive. If you ask my wife, I am. Uh, she'll tell you that I am right away. But I've, I've certainly, I can predict when people are pregnant. I can predict mm-hmm. male or female. I just did it with my sister-in-law recently. Uh, my, <laughs> my wife got the results so they could do the gender reveal or whatever. And 
And she's like, do you want to know what it is? Or I'm not going to tell you or something along those lines. And I was like, oh, don't worry. I already, already know. I already know what it is. Of course I was right. Uh, just little things like that. I don't know. It's just, I just say it and it's, it's just right. I don't, I don't know how that works. Uh, remote viewing is something that I've toyed around with that I actually, from time to time, pretty accurate, what? which is surprising. I don't think that that's just me though. I think everybody can no. do that. It's just a matter of sitting down and practicing and, and figuring out interpretation is, is a lot of it as well. And I tell people on the show all the time that there are certain types of pe- people that experience this stuff often or, or once perhaps. And those are people that are just paying attention. You ha- to see a UFO, you have to look up. Mm. To see a ghost, you have to be somewhere where a haunting is potential. There's potential for a haunting. Um, Bigfoot, you need to be in the woods. You know, you have to be in these places, and you have to be aware of your surroundings enough to notice that something's out of the ordinary. So if you're at Walmart <laughs> and you see a person walking, that could be a ghost. You have no idea. Mm. But if you're walking in the catacombs of Paris and somebody walks by you in, in a strange outfit, what's you know, you come to the conclusion that's a ghost. So you have to have that perception. You have to be aware of what's going on around you enough to uh, notice when something strange is taking place. And I feel like I'm pretty good at that. You know, it's interesting you say that you feel like everybody has those abilities because you're not the first person to come on the show and say that. I, I, we've kind of heard this analogy of everybody or most people can run, but not everybody becomes an Olympic athlete. So it's part genetics, part hard work and practice, and that the psychic mm-hmm. eye, quote unquote, also is like a flexing of the muscle and practicing and working it out until you have some sort of control over it. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that probably. You know, the if you don't use it, you lose it kind of analogy. I don't I don't sit here and practice. Let's put it that way. I don't sit here all day. I'm like, oh, I wonder what's going on upstairs. Uh, it's just, honestly, when I lose things, Sarah, my wife, Sarah, she's always like, just remote view it, find out where it is. So I'm like, okay, what do I have to lose? So I'll do it and we'll find it, really? strangely enough, using that method. And it's happened several times. Wow. How do, how do you tap into that? I, you know, I have no idea. But let me tell you a quick story. Uh, we were getting, our, our wedding was uh, four years ago. And uh, everybody was coming from the Midwest out here. We live in Southern California. And everybody was coming out here for the wedding. And we were trying to gather everything up. And get, it, was a, it was a shit show trying to get everybody ready. And uh, we were missing an item. There was something we lost. We put somewhere we couldn't find it. And we're freaking out. And Sarah's like, just remote view it. Just just sit down and try to find it. So I did. And I drew this uh, series of three conical shapes. And then I wrote on each one of them, red, yellow, white. And that's what came to me. I'm like, okay, well, what is this? Three shapes, red, yellow, white. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm like, that sounds like red, yellow. That's an RCA cable. You know, the cable you plug into an old VCR or something. And I happen to have an old VCR in my closet. So I'm like, okay, we'll we'll go look. So I moved the VCR right underneath it. There's everything we were looking for. It was right underneath that VCR, which I didn't didn't even remember putting it in there. So that was, you know, I I don't know if I'm making a connection post or if it's actually some sort of indication. It's, It's really hard to make that determination, but it was eerie enough that I remember it four years later. I think you're being very humble, like being like, everyone can do this. And like, it's not that big of a deal. Just sit down. Like, I think you are really talented and have something special that like I and Alyssa <laughs> would never be able to do if we sat down, if we were like, let's sit yeah. down and try to think of like where that thing some fan sent us and we like closed our eyes. It would just be, 
dark like nothing (laughs) (laughs) i lose my keys and my phone like five times a day no matter how hard i try not to and if not for the find my iphone feature i would have lost my phone five times already this year well that's a type of esp i think find my iphone (laughs) i think that's really really fascinating i'm kind of like afraid of all of that personally i I, I ride a horse and he lives out in a pasture and I live in Georgia. So he's like in Appalachia, the southern tip of the Appalachian Mountains, which I'm sure you know all mm-hmm. about how haunted Appalachia is. And of course, yeah. he moved from California and then I got uh, wind that he was kind of acting strange. And they're like, you know, he tried to jump out of the pasture at night and it's a really tall fence and he supposedly like is hurt. So they were like, why would he jump out at night? And I just got it stuck in my head. I was like, there's uh, there's something bad out there. You know, I'm not even going to say the name of it because you're not supposed to say the name of it. But I was like, there's something bad out there. And then now every time I ride and we kind of like ride by the woods, I just don't even look in because I'm afraid. I'm like afraid that me thinking it's there is going to be there. And then like, you know, I play out the worst case scenario, which is like the horse sees it, spooks and runs away. And then I'm like on the ground and this thing comes and takes my soul or something. So it's all very scary. But you are (laughs) talking about it as if it's just like a, a skill that you can cultivate to like help you in regular day life. It's like a modern witch take, right? Like back in the day, maybe you're trying to make potions to make your crops grow or something. And then, yeah. you know, mm. nowadays we're just trying to find our keys and our phone. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't really tie this, that part of it to anything negative. You know, I'm not worried about uh, stumbling upon a ghost or anything like that. But I have heard stories of people. There was a government program, and it's probably still in existence, but it's officially shut down as of the late 70s, I believe. But the government uh, recruited a bunch of these remote viewers and put them to work. Now, these programs are still, you know, in existence in China and Russia and that kind of thing. But here they're supposedly shut, supposedly shut down. There was, I'm trying to remember which guy, I think it was Ingo Swan was the one that was doing this. He was remote viewing and they asked him to look at the dark side of the moon. So he did and he found these uh, structures, these buildings. So they, they told him, well, go to the window and look inside. What's, what's going on in there? So, you know, psychically he walks to the window and he peeks inside and there's aliens in there doing their work, doing their thing. So he, he reports back. He's like, I see aliens. I see figures. I see beings inside this building. And he's like, well, wait a minute. They, they all stopped and they're all looking at me. They see me. They can see me. Psychically, they can see this guy. And if the people organizing this experiment are like, get the hell out of there. Go. You got to go. You got to go. And that's one of the few times I can think of where, where something negative was encountered you know, using this technique. Mm. It's just a wild story. If you ever get a chance, you got to read some of the books by Ingo Swan or Russell Targ. I'm writing this down. Uh, yeah, any of these um, remote viewers. And they'll teach you how to do this. And they say the same thing I do, that everybody can do it. It's just varying degrees of success. And the more you do it, the better you are at it. Or the more you can uh, perceive what you're seeing and translate that to, you know, everyday life. Uh, the better uh, results you're going to have. Because essentially, like I said earlier, I saw three shapes, three colors. You have to associate that with something. You have to be able to identify what that is in order for that to be useful. Mm. So if I didn't know that that's what it took to plug in a VCR, it wouldn't, you know, wouldn't help me out. So you have to understand what it is you're seeing in order for it to do anything for you. Natalia and I recently had two uh, mediums on the podcast and they were kind of reiterating a few of those same points like you know everyone can do it everybody has some degree of psychic ability it's just figuring it out figuring out what it is how to recognize it Mm -hmm. how to use it but then Natalia (laughs) and I also have this problem where we're like 
we we like want to believe so bad that we just like gaslight ourselves into believing we're psychic. Like during that episode, they would be like, "Okay, now we're going to talk to you about a lighthouse." So, you know, what do you what do you see? Like, we're not going to tell you what lighthouse it is. Can you describe it to us? And we're like, "Oh, well, it's white and probably has blue." blue and then we're like but that's just a lighthouse they're like yes you're psychic and we're like but that is literally just a lighthouse <laughs> right so it's that recognition of how to figure out like what is just me describing what I think a lighthouse looks like versus actually deducing something psychically and I think yeah we require a lot more practice before we can <laughs> get to that point yeah <laughs> You're supposed to draw what you see. Mm. So you, you just draw what you, you don't try to interpret it as you're doing it. You just literally write it. Whatever comes to you, you write it down. And then you use that information afterward to kind of like, oh, this looks like a city block or this looks like a lighthouse. Uh, a perfect example, I had a friend when I used to work in the industry, I had an office job. And I had a friend on the other side of the office, and we we were always interested in this kind of thing. We talk about it, and I said, well, you know, every once in a while, when you're bored, like bring up a picture on your computer, shoot me an IM, and and say, hey, guess what's on my computer? Mm. And I think we only did it once or twice, but the one, the very first time, and it's probably why we don't do it anymore. She's like, okay, I'm ready. She called me. She's like, hey, go ahead, I, I'm ready. And I said, okay. So I drew uh, three orange triangles. I said, I don't know, three orange triangles. So I handed it to her, and her face went white. I'm like, oh, what what's happening here? And she's like turned her computer around, it was the Golden Gate Bridge, which has the triangles and it's orange. You know, it's an orange oh, bridge. Wow. So I don't think she wanted to do it anymore <laughs> after that, but I think maybe we did it one other time. But um, it's just little things like that. And and this isn't, I mean, these stories are all accumulated over like 10 years of, of practicing or playing around with this. It's not always dead on, but weirdly enough, a lot of times it is. That is really interesting. And it is. It's also really cool to talk to somebody that has so many paranormal stories to share. I think sometimes it can be hard when, you know, we've been doing our podcast for five years and we've covered so many topics mm -hmm. that sometimes when somebody asks me something, I'm like, I'm just so overwhelmed by all the stories that we have talked about that I, I like panic and can't pull out the interesting or most interesting pieces that we've talked about before. And so that's something that I really like about all of the interviews I've listened to with you because you are able to kind of pull out those interesting tidbits. And we asked you to come today with one of your favorite paranormal stories from a listener and I would love if you can just provide like a little bit of exposition before we all listen to it together. Natalia and I are flying blind. That's what we love to do on this show. So I have no idea what the story is going to be about. Yes. Well, it's it's a call-in show, but it's a little different than normal. It's a, a voicemail call-in show. So you call in, leave a voicemail. I edit your call down, you know, make it sound real smooth and shiny so that we can play as many calls as possible. And I, every once in a while, I get a call that... I call it the shutdown for the night call because I'll work, you know, all hours here in my, my basement studio. And I just listen to calls that come in, you know, and file them away in different categories. And every once in a while I'll get a call that uh, it just uh, upsets me. Like, it's just, mm -hmm. ugh, I, I can't keep doing this tonight. It's like, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with this. And I'm not a, a guy that spooks easily. So um, this particular call came in from Julie in Oregon, I believe. And this played on episode uh, season 10, episode 6. So this was several years ago. But uh, I don't want to give too much away. Uh, it's ironic that you said the listeners are in their car because that's where this particular story takes place. Oh, wow. And um, it's a thinker. It really makes you think about what happens once we die. Mm. 
Hi, Derek. This is Julie. So this would have been 1996 or 7, and I was about 18 years old. At the time, I was living in uh, Portland, Oregon, and I was driving down to Eugene to visit some friends. I was on the main interstate, and it was summertime. I remember it being pretty warm out and uh, and being really happy about that because I planned to go swimming with some friends. So as I was driving out of Portland, and I was still driving through, you know, essentially the, the metro area, and I wasn't that far out of Portland, and all of a sudden traffic stopped. This wasn't unusual. I'm sure traffic has stopped there right now. <laughs> It can be pretty hard on the I-5. At any rate, there was a big accident on the right side of the road, so on the side of the road that I was on. And everyone was, you know, rubbernecking, and it was taking a really long time to get past. And by the time I started um, passing, I realized that something terrible had happened. There was a car smashed under an 18-wheeler. The 18-wheeler was flipped over. They were all off the side of the road. And there was an ambulance at that moment with a stretcher and a yellow body bag. I was really, like, horrified. I've never seen anything like that. And I was, like, trying to understand what could be wrong with the person (laughs) for them to be in a bag. And then I went, oh, oh, my God. And I realized, and I I just looked forward and just kept driving pretty horrified. I was maybe about another mile away and suddenly I looked to my right side because I was no longer alone in the car and uh, there was a woman sitting in my passenger seat and now (laughs) I know this sounds crazy but I guess it's Monsters Among Us (laughs) this is where we take our stories no one else would ever believe At any rate, I could describe her perfectly. She had a red shirt on that had these little diamonds on it. She had some blue slacks, like she had just gotten off of work from an office job or something. She had black curly hair, and she had a lot of makeup, a lot of makeup on. And while she was 100% there, she was there was something very. Uh, while she was solid in vision, like there was something just kind of ethereal about her. I just couldn't quite, obviously I knew there wasn't somebody in my car. So I was startled and, and she looked over at me when I looked over at her and she looked completely freaked out. She looked like somebody who just suddenly ended up in somebody else's car. And she just was like screaming, who are you? What's happening? And she starts to jerk at the doorknob. I was in total shock. I I couldn't understand what was happening. Who was this woman? And then all of a sudden I thought of the body bag I had just looked at moments before. And I just went cold. I went so cold. I, I just remember freezing and I just looked at her and I said, ma'am, ma'am, you need to calm down. My name's Julie. I'm here to help. I'm here to help. And she said, what is happening? What's going on? What, where, where am I? And I said, and I explained to her where she was. I said, we're going through McMinnville. I believe that you were just in a car accident. And she looked forward suddenly away from me and looked back through the windshield as if like she was remembering that the seconds before she had passed. <clears throat> and she looked back at me and said, this, 
this this can't be like this doesn't make sense and i i didn't start crying but tears started coming down my eyes and i just said ma'am i i believe that you were in a car accident and i believe you've passed away and she just looked like somebody would who just heard that i mean she looked horrified no 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 she said no and i said ma'am and then just then like <laughs> like a movie uh, we come past uh, pine trees that had been really thick and forested and suddenly opened up to farmland. And so there was a huge, huge uh, field that went all the way. Your view goes all the way to a mountain range very far away. And the sun was setting because this was facing west. And sh- she looked over there and it was just like a movie. The The rays of light were shining through a cloud that was covering the sun as it was setting below the mountains. And it was creating those rays of sun and you almost expected the hand of God to be coming through. It was really incredible. And I said, ma'am, do you see that? And she looked away from me and she just became so peaceful. She went from being hysterical to just completely calm. And she said, yeah, I do. And I said, ma'am, do you see the light? And she said, I do. I said, I I think you're supposed to go to the light, ma'am. I'm really sorry that this happened, but I don't think you should be here anymore. And she, oh, I'm almost crying right now. She looks over at me with the most peaceful face I've ever seen like the most peaceful look on anyone's face I've ever seen in my life. And she just said, thank you. And she looked back to the right and disappeared. I pulled over, gathered myself because I pretty much lost it. (laughs) I was like, did that just actually happen? That could not have just actually happened. That's crazy. I'm crazy. I'm just projecting like I, I couldn't believe what had just happened. I mean, <laughs> it's unbelievable. I gather myself. I continue on with my trip. Uh, a couple of days later, I, I head back up to Portland to go home, and I happened to be watching the news, <laughs> and they uh, were talking about the accident that had happened. They were referring to the man driving the 18-wheeler and how he had sustained a lot of injuries and that he was actually getting better. And that was basically what the report was. But before they finished, they threw a picture up of the woman that was in my car and explained that she had passed away in the accident. And it had mentioned that there was going to be a public service for her, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why they weren't telling you who she was. And it was unbelievable it was just too much. So I guess that's my story of a time that I happened to maybe help some woman who ended up in my car. It made me think a lot about what happens to us when we pass away and how in certain circumstances, perhaps we don't even know (laughs) that we've passed away. And uh, I was very, very thankful that instead of panicking or writing it off or telling myself I was crazy and just refusing to look back at her that I managed to call myself and communicate to her. I would really probably have thought the rest of my life that that was just me being crazy, but 
you know, the news report was so much validation. Anyways, thank you so much for an awesome podcast. I have become a massive fan and as everyone who listens, it seems like, and I have told many, many friends to listen. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much for such an awesome podcast. Makes us all feel a little less alone and a little less weird. I have the chills. I yeah, I got the chills. I got tears in my eyes when multiple times during that. That yeah, I'm a very empathetic person and so when I hear someone else be emotional, it makes me emotional because she just I can just tell that's like a really heavy memory for that woman and she still doesn't mm-hmm. quite exactly know what to think of it and I think there's like a small part of her who's like maybe I am a little crazy but that I saw the picture on the news, you know, I'm right there with her. I feel like it's, it's so difficult for me to believe. And I'm not a skeptic, but like it, it, because whenever you see representation of somebody seeing a ghost or something like that, it's not a person in the back of your car. Like, where am I? What's going on? You know, it's like a ghostly apparition, but this, she said it was like a person was in her car that she was able to talk to and communicate with. So I don't know. I I think it's an amazing story and I 100% believe her. And I think she really did see a ghost and I don't, I don't know, maybe she, maybe because she was just so close in that moment and she was so emotionally affected by it. Like when everyone else was just kind of driving by and like, Oh, what's happening? Because she was really kind of thrown out of her element by seeing the body bag. She said she like at first didn't even think someone could die. It was like, Oh, well, why would they be in a body bag? And then, the realization hit her so I'm wondering if she just had such a panicked reaction to it that she was sort of vibrating on the same level that this person who had just passed away and was now in between realms or whatever you want to call it and they were both vibrating so high because they were both so confused or so shocked that somehow they were connected I mean I don't know how it works but that's like the only guess that I have but yeah that was a crazy story crazy crazy I can definitely see why you chose this one to share. Um, I mean, this is going to stay with me for a long time. And you're right, it does. At the beginning, you you had mentioned, like, this is going to kind of raise some questions about what it means to live, what it means to die, what it means to try mm-hmm. to pass on. And I think everyone can relate to those feelings. There's so many things we don't understand in the universe, obviously. But how fortunate that that spirit that was so panicked found its way into the nicest Mm -hmm. woman's vehicle on the road that day. And maybe it's not a coincidence. Maybe it's not fortunate. Maybe that's just the way things work. Like Natalia said, maybe it is some sort of matching of vibrations or emotions or feelings. And I don't know, but, but it does, it crops up all of those questions and existential questions and emotions and, I can see how that would have like ended my night of listening to voicemails and editing if I had received that, because (laughs) how do you top that? Right. Like, how do you continue on listening to voicemails after you've just gotten something so impactful? For me, it's it's I'll I'll use the word earth shattering because it kind of is, you know, I'm an atheist. Uh, I'm not afraid to say that. And this I mean, doesn't make me question that, but it also does make me question what does happen. You know, there was no. 
religious aspect of this, I don't think, in my opinion anyway. But there was some sort of uh, higher power, I guess. I don't, there was some sort of other element that we didn't really get a glimpse of. She touched on it, the sky opened up, it sort of invited her in. Uh, what, you know, what was that? What was that kind of, and for somebody like me that, you know, a self-proclaimed atheist, what the hell was it? You know, that's, that's something that I struggle with a lot. And then it makes me think about people that I've known that have passed on. And, you know, maybe, you know, before I thought, oh, they're just gone, you know, they're just completely gone. And now, you know, with a call like that, you think, well, maybe there's a little hope, you know, maybe there is some place that they may go. And that, that made me feel a little better. And then I thought, you know, what would I do in that situation? If I just looked over and there was some strange woman in my seat, there's no guarantee that I wouldn't join her moments later by swerving the wheel and wrecking off of the road or something like that. You know, a panic. Uh, So this Julie, the girl that called in, she's really lucky that she didn't panic. And, you know, that could have caused another accident or something. So this call just, like I said, it it came in three or four years ago. It's, It's been quite a while now. And still, I think about it weekly, if not more. Uh, it's just something that really resonates with me. And I had a hard time deciding which call. I had another call that's very similar. And if you'll allow me, I'll just tell that story yeah, really yes, quickly. Absolutely. Uh, this one took place in Ohio, and it was a father and a son. And the little boy was in a, a car seat in the back seat. He was really young, three or four years, just talking. And uh, they're just driving down the road, and all of a sudden, the little boy goes, Look at all those people. And he points up to an empty field. And the field is a cemetery, but it's one of those, I don't know what they call them, but cemeteries where the stones are all flush to the ground. They don't, they don't have the vertical stones. They're all just, so it, from the side, it literally just looks like a field. And the kid's like, look at them. They're just standing around. And then he goes, there sure are a lot of grandmas. And I'm like, whoa, that just blew my mind. And the dad's like, what are you talking about? And that's when the dad kind of realizes it's a cemetery. And he's like, I got to get the hell out of here. Like, this is freaking me out. And this kid was adamant that there was just all these people standing in this field. And when the dad looked up, there wasn't a soul up there. Having a paranormal show, do you find, like, can those two worlds coexist? Do you find that the supernatural does not interfere with, like, atheist beliefs? And I ask this because my partner is a super staunch atheist. And because of those belief systems, he really does not believe anything paranormal at all. Um, and so it's interesting to me to let, I would consider myself like a spiritual person for how, ha- you know, especially after having this podcast. So do you think mm-hmm. those two worlds can coexist? Like, do you have trouble grappling with believing people that call in? Well, that's a question that's been asked of me a lot, uh, years and years ago. I mean, well before I even thought about doing a show, you know, I've always been into the paranormal and everybody that knows me knows that. And they also, most of the people that know me also know I'm an atheist. And, uh, they would ask that same question. Like, how do you believe in ghosts if you don't believe in, you know, religion or, you know, a higher power? And for me, I always think back to Einstein, you know, energy cannot be created or destroyed. It's just transferred. So we're made up of energy. So that energy has to go somewhere. Now, it could be as simple as, you know, we decompose and the plants eat our energy and the plants become us or, you know, that that uh, circle goes on. Or it could be something else where, you know, we expire, our bodies are done, but somehow our energy, our vibrations or what have you uh, live on. And I, I guess in the back of my head, I wonder if that, those vibrations, that energy living on is somehow uh, other people's religion. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of one and the same thing. Just people view it differently or 
or interpret it differently. Um, I don't have a clear answer for you, quite frankly, but uh, those are my thoughts for it, at least. And as far as believing or not believing, uh, I I do it on a person-to-person basis, and I base most of my belief on the way they deliver their story, frankly. It has nothing to do with the content of the story. Like, they all sound crazy to me. But when the person's talking, like, I believe every word Julie just said to me, Uh, you know, it all sounds genuine, doesn't sound like she's making it up. And I've heard thousands and thousands of stories at this point. So I can pick a liar out in 10 seconds. It's pretty quick and easy. And for me, when I listen to a person that's genuine, at the very least, they believe that it happened to Mm -hmm. them. And I think in a lot of cases, I think it really happened to them in some form, in some way. It may not be exactly what they said, but something strange happened to them. So I have no problem believing them. Uh, Just because I don't understand what's going on doesn't mean that it isn't happening. Right. If that makes any sense. No, it definitely makes sense. That's a hard question to answer, by the way. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And that's why I said there's no right or wrong answer. Yeah. I think, you know, like like we said a few minutes ago, that's at the heart of being a human is grappling with these really difficult, intangible questions of what it means to live and what it means to die and what happens to mm-hmm. us before we were born and after we're born. And is that one in the same? Yeah. Is it cyclical? Do, do we live on as a plant or some other form of energy? And these are the questions that as of yet, we've not been able to answer. But I really like that imagery of the last story you told where the little boy's looking out and there's just all these grandmas, quote unquote, that are standing up by their headstones, right? By these footstones that have their names on it, because that also lends into something that today's story is about, where there's this idea of what happens to souls? If we believe a soul is real and it can live on, does it just wait around for you to call upon it? Does it just wait around for a human to interact with it? Can they interact with each other? And, you know, I don't know that we're going to be able to answer that with today's episode, but I'd love to get into this week's haunting if everybody is is ready I'm always ready. Buckled up. But before we get into today's haunting, we would first like to give a very special thank you to this week's patrons. Amelia, Maris G, Mari G, Mike K, Julie C, Shara, Shara, Jordan B, Clara K, Clara K, Penny C, Nikki, Nicole without the H, Eunice A, Laura the Lauren, Risen Wales, Kelsey C, Cassidy M, Tresca E, Nicole H, Alan F, Al H, Bradley M, Brett B, Levi, Jordan L, Michelle H, Emmy J, Ashley J, Nick C, Sal S, Uber A, Caitlin E, Yas A, Sad Girl Shell, Sydney B, Sarah, K to the Win, Carly, Beatrice, Beatriz, Jim H, Morgan, Kate M, Matthew L, Lisa ML, Laura Bakes, Andy, Caitlin DP, 1017, Angela N, Kristen C, Jackie G, Sarah M, Tay's Exotic Critters, Lauren G, Taylor, British Cyborg, Jordan F, Christy H, Roxanne S, Brianne M, Sarah D, Sage, Monica R, Jen M, Sean, Kimberly, Caitlin D, Matt M, Alexandra, Mordo Music, Haley G, Kelsey K, Andrea C, Andrea C, J B, 
Michael B, Sarah W, Mecca K, Katie T, Mercy M A, Jess P, Marissa K, Sam P, Haley C, A Bennett, Anne P, Maja L, Emily C, Slug Bunny, Max M, Mars Y, Casey C, Oscar M, Alyssa D, Ashley M, Rebecca, Mason G, Lena, Lena, Sonia, Sonja, Kevin T, Nadine, NX Dine, Amanda P, Rivier, Alex P, and LC Fitz. Thank you all so, so much for donating to this week's show. We cannot run Let's Get Haunted without our patrons, and we appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you. Buckle the fuck up. On today's episode, we will aim to get into the spirit of Halloween by learning about and discussing several haunted paranormal games and rituals found across the internet. I have five possible games prepared for today's episode, but I think we will probably only get through two before our time is up. So let us begin with a Reddit ritual with possible roots in ancient Egypt. Game number one the witch's window. It's hard to think of a more emblematic character of Halloween than that of the quote-unquote witch. The vision of a mystical sorceress pinching ground herbs into a bubbling cauldron, or a cackling hag flying through the air atop a broomstick, goes hand-in-hand with more innocent imagery of trick-or-treating and pumpkin carving. When the first crisp chill of autumn rolls through your town, do you find your thoughts drifting to fog-filled cemeteries, ancient incantations, questionable love potions, and secret seances held under the full moon? Does your pace and your pulse quicken as you walk by the creepiest house on your block on your way home late at night? If so, you're in good company. Children in cultures where Halloween is celebrated are sure to have been exposed to the frightening caricature of the witch from a young age, with popular children's books like The Witches by Roald Dahl and movies like Disney's Hocus Pocus playing on repeat each October. But for all of its fun and fancy, the word witch carries a heavy and devastating history behind it. A single syllable once uttered marked the end to the lives of scores of innocent women and men. Accused of consorting with the devil, communities throughout the world have sentenced these witches to the worst deaths imaginable. Burned at the stake, drowned, stoned, drawn and quartered and hanged, just to name a few. But what makes a witch so scary? Is it a black pointy hat and striped socks? Having a cat as your best friend? A penchant for snacking on lost children in the woods? Or is it a fear of the unknown and a distrust of anyone claiming to have skills that can't be easily explained or replicated? What if I told you that you too could take a peek behind the paranormal curtain and dabble in some of the supernatural skills of the witch? Would you hesitate? Or would you jump at the opportunity to be more powerful than a mere mortal, if only for just one night? If you answered yes to any of the above questions, then you're in luck. For our first game this evening claims to do just that. Before I move on, 
What do you guys think? Let's have you guys answer that question. If somebody came up to you and said, hey, whether or not you believe in it, if you perform this ritual for one night only, you can have some of the powers of a witch. Would you take them up on that offer or would you turn it down? Oh, yeah. Yeah, what, what would Without be hesitation? <laughs> what, that's like, do you want a million dollars or do you not? Like, I don't see the downside <laughs> of saying yes. Same. You know? <laughs> Same. Like, there's no, it seems like a, just an easy yes. Like, it's not that controversial, right? Well, 100 years ago or 200 years ago, I might have answered differently because I've already said enough on this show to get me stoned to death 200 years <laughs> yeah. ago. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I might answer a little differently you know, in a different time. But right now, I 100% agree. Like, we can make a million dollars just at, by having these powers. So, Kill two birds with one stone right, right there. Right. Well, 11 years ago, a Reddit user going by the name Limo Luke posted about a mystical ritual to the subreddit r slash three kings. Luke's post claimed to contain the steps for a game called The Witch's Window, which, if performed correctly, would give the players the power to summon any deceased person from beyond the veil a power thought to only be held by the most powerful sorcerers. So you can see how this game actually goes kind of perfectly with that last story you told, Derek, because Mm -hmm. if we can summon any deceased person, does that then mean that they're just waiting around for us on the other side, standing around, hoping to be called in to help somebody? I don't know. Let me further that question, too, and, and ask does Julie and this little boy in this story, do they already have this power? Because they're already communicating with these That's these a great question. And does that mean that they're some sort of modern witch or warlock or sorcerer, the descendants of someone that had these powers? Or if everybody can have them and some people are just born more in tune, are they just more in tune? So the steps to the ritual written by Luke are as follows. The Witch's Window is one of the oldest summoning rituals in the world, with variations of the practice appearing in records dating back to the ancient Egyptians. Its legacy is still felt today in techniques such as scrying and myths such as Bloody Mary. The true purpose of the ritual is to make contact with the spirits of the dead, whether to seek information or to merely communicate with the souls of deceased loved ones. The technique, while relatively simple, can be highly dangerous, both mentally and physically. So if you're thinking of trying this one out, proceed with caution. During the late 19th century, the witch's window technique became popular among various self-proclaimed and often fraudulent mediums, who used the ritual in their parlor shows to trick their paying guests into believing that they possessed supernatural powers. These quote-unquote mediums would perform the ritual and, in combination with a number of basic lighting tricks and the power of suggestion, would bring forth a being from beyond the veil. However, a story tells that in one of these seances, a male medium who went by the stage name Azarian supposedly performed the witch's window technique with tragic consequences. It will never be known exactly what happened that night. But Azarian, who until that point had no history of mental disturbance or violence, murdered the five paying guests who were visiting him that night. He used a shard of his broken scrying mirror before slitting his own wrists and perishing along with his victims. 
What made the event even more bizarre is that none of the victims appeared to have put up a struggle or even attempted to leave their seats. Despite the fact that Azarian had apparently walked around the room and stabbed one by one each guest a number of times in the chest. Rather than finding signs of a struggle, police walked into a relatively calm-looking scene, with each guest found still staring into the broken mirror with lifeless eyes and a look of abject horror etched upon their faces. Now that I've given you this cautionary preamble of what can happen when you mess with the witch's window, I will explain the steps you need to follow to carry out this game. The ritual begins by standing a small mirror onto a table in the corner of a room. Place two candles on either side of the mirror. Draw a circle of salt around the mirror and the candles, and make sure that the circle is never broken throughout the ritual. This is very important to ensure that once the window has been opened, nothing can pass through. Next, place a chair directly in front of the table, with the back of it facing the mirror. The back of the chair must be beyond arm's reach from the mirror. Again, this is a safety precaution so that nothing that appears in the portal you open can reach out and touch you. Now, making the room as dark as possible, turn off any and all lights and put up a second set of curtains if necessary to ensure as complete of darkness as possible. The ritual can now begin. Start by lighting both candles. Next, kneel down in front of the mirror. While gazing into the mirror, try to picture in your mind an endless corridor, stretching out into infinity beyond the glass. When you have this image firmly in your mind, knock on the mirror nine times, as if knocking on a door. Here I will pause to take a moment to answer a question I often receive while explaining this game. But why must I knock nine times, Luke? People often ask. In numerology, the number nine is considered extremely powerful. It is the last of the single digit numbers and the highest in value. It represents a sort of completion of one cycle before moving on to the next. The nine in numerology acts as an usher in this process of transition or transformation, guiding and empowering us with its wisdom. It absorbs answers from a spiritual source, then delivers them to us in the real world. And this is why you must knock nine times on the mirror, as the purpose of this game is to usher a spirit from the spirit realm into the room. If you are trying to contact a relative or loved one, try and picture their face while you knock nine times on the mirror. Imagine them walking down that long, endless corridor of infinity, drawing closer to the surface of the mirror with each step. Now, quietly, but as quick as you can, make your way away from the table and sit on the chair facing away from the mirror. During this time, you may feel, or even hear, the sounds of something or someone drawing closer to you. You may even see this in your mind's eye. 
a figure traveling down this corridor towards the mirror. This is common, and if you do see this clearly in your mind's eye, you should remain calm. Although you may hear or sense this person or figure drawing closer to you from behind, you should make absolutely sure to resist the urge to turn around in the chair and look towards the mirror. You may not move from your sitting position. You may not gaze into the mirror again until the very end of the ritual. I cannot stress this enough. Please do not look into the mirror, no matter what you feel or what you hear, even if you are certain that you are in contact with a loved one, because one truly never knows. Again, I say for the last time, do not look in the mirror until the ritual is over and the witch's window is closed. At this point, you must wait silently for the next 30 or so seconds, as this will allow any spirit's time to reach the window that you have opened. When the time has passed, you are free to begin asking questions to whoever may have answered you. The responses may take a number of forms, depending on the strength of the spirit, ranging from taps and flickering of candles to hearing voices, either in your head or actually coming from behind you in the mirror. Whatever form the responses take, if any, remember to remain calm and avoid, again, looking inside the mirror. During the ritual, there are a number of precautions that must be taken. One, ensure that the circle of salt is complete and not broken in any way. Two, do not attempt to cover the mirror in any way while the window is open. This can make whoever is on the other side confused and angry as they won't be able to see who called them. Three, keep a small amount of salt in your right hand at all times. If both candles go out, you must quickly and calmly throw the salt over your left shoulder toward the mirror. Then exit the room, making sure not to go within arm's reach of the table or to look in the mirror. Wait outside the room for 10 minutes, then knock on the door nine times. If there is no reply, then it is safe to enter the room and perform the closing ritual. If you feel anything grab the back of the chair or yourself and try and pull you into the mirror, you must immediately end the ritual and leave the room. To close the window and end the ritual, you must state out loud that you are going to close the window before throwing the salt over your shoulder. This will temporarily ward any spirit away, allowing you to approach the mirror, but only for around a minute, so you must be quick with the next part. Walk over to the table and lie the mirror down on its back with the glass facing up towards the ceiling. Pour salt onto the glass until it is completely covered and you can no longer see any reflection. Picture the corridor fading away in your mind's eye. Picture the person or spirit that you have called backing slowly away and fading down with the corridor. Finally, you may extinguish both candles before switching the lights on in the room. The window should now be closed, just be warned. For if you ever hear knocking or scratching from behind the mirror at any time after the ritual ends, you may not have performed the steps correctly and may now be forever haunted by whatever spirit you called upon. End of ritual. What do you guys think of The Witch's Window? 
it's very specific. There's a lot of detail in there that, it, frankly, that makes me uh, not necessarily believe in it more, but it gives it power, I think. You know, if it was just all sit in a chair and put the mirror behind you and hold some salt, and like that, those were the details, it's harder to believe something like that than, I mean... There was a lot uh, of, of very specific direction in that. That uh, It's interesting. It's, it's, I might try that, actually. It is very interesting because sometimes with these, Nat and I, this is the, the fifth volume in the installment of Paranormal Games to Play in the Dark that we've done over the years. And some rituals or games, quote unquote, that we've covered in the past, it is kind of like that. Like, all right, sit down, you know, say this sentence one time and then someone's going to be in the room with you and you're like, that's it? Mm-hmm. Like Bloody Mary. Yeah, right? Bloody Mary is a great example. But this one, yeah, I like that they even go into detail describing the numerology and why you have to knock nine times. That it's not just a nonsensical fictional thing that they've invented, that there's some sort of meaning behind it. Natalia, what are your thoughts? I have a lot of thoughts during that. Um, I'll try Share to be, them. try to be brief. But my first thought was like, who the fuck would I call? Like that's dead. You know that wouldn't fuck up my life. I can't think of a whole lot of people because some people I feel like that were close to me. Like I have a friend who passed away in a car wreck. She was drinking and driving when we were in college, and I think about her all the time. And I don't know if that was just because I was so young and that was the first person close to me who died, or if she's like trying to contact me, but. She was also going through so much in her life at that time. I don't think she really had it together emotionally that I don't know. Like if I called her back to this place, would she be at peace or was she going to be like, a you know, a spirit that sticks around and haunts because she's like emotionally not that mature. She's like emotionally at the same maturity that she was when she passed away. I don't know. And then I think about like my grandma who passed away, who was going through a lot of shit too and she died and I don't have anyone in my life that like passed away and seemed like they they like had their shit together you know and I feel like that's like what at least what I know that's like what creates a a ghost that's scary right like it's always someone Uh. who didn't want to go you know so I don't unfinished business yeah unfinished business Mm -hmm. is what I was thinking about um And yeah, so I couldn't think of one person I would want to call. And then I was like, well, maybe I could call on someone like Einstein or like a great seer from the past. Maybe I would call on Aristotle or some amazing philosopher, um, you know. And then I was like, well, I don't fucking know anything about them either. They were like mildly (laughs) famous. And from what I know about everyone who's famous is they like have a lot of shit that they have to go through. They're kind of like haunted individuals. So that was my first thing was like, I can't think of one like, this is a cool ritual, but I can't see how it would be useful to me because there's not really anyone that I need to talk to who has died. And I don't know if I did call upon them. Like, what would I say? Like, how could that be productive for me? Um, and the second thought I had was, like, I was really trying to think, what is it about this that makes it so scary? Because it is scary, like, thinking about this. For some reason, I'm getting a visual in my head of, like, this salt in a circle, and there's, like, a very haunted, scary person sitting alone in their house with this table and the mirror and all this, and they're, like, bringing dead people into their room. It's fucking scary. And I was like, maybe that was why people were so afraid of witches in the past is because you, you, like, the idea is if someone's willing to go to this length, right like all the specific Mm -hmm. little movements or whatever to get what they want that's a very ambitious person and I think 
people who are really ambitious, especially women back in the day, because we didn't want women to be ambitious. We wanted them to just fucking chill and do what we told them. I think maybe that is like at the root of it. What is so scary? It's like, it's not just, just the power. It's the ambition that goes with it. Someone who's willing, who can like make a plan and execute it is a very powerful person. I don't know. Maybe those aren't interesting thoughts. I'm sorry. No, those are super interesting thoughts. I, it also reminds me a little bit. We had um, in our Paranormal Games to Play in the Dark Volume 2, we learned about two Latin American games that paranormal games that are played. And we had some listeners call in with their firsthand experiences playing those games. And we read this really great quote. Do you remember? I'm going to read it right now. So if you read don't it. remember, that's okay. Okay. What was it? So there was an exorcist based in Cantabria, Spain, who we quoted in Paranormal Games to Play in the Dark Part 2. And he said, Hell is like a glove. A glove only has one hole. You place your hand inside of the glove, and you remove your hand from the glove through that same opening. Similarly, hell only has one opening through which a soul can enter or exit. The soul or being that is trapped inside this glove has no rest. It yearns to escape from there by all means, whether by force or through deception, because it cannot rest until it reaches outside. When we say an open incantation, for example, by using a Ouija board, what we are actually doing is opening an interdimensional portal that spans not only that exit hole from hell, but also that of heaven and any other unknown dimensions in its path. We may have hoped to communicate with our deceased grandfather to ask him a question, say goodbye to him, or simply to see him again because we miss him. But out of this diverse world to which we have just granted a passageway, who is more interested in crossing over? Our beloved grandfather whose soul is surely at peace? Or a soul who is tormented and can only attain peace here in our world? And how will this entity manage to stay in our dimension for as long as it can to rest? How will it make sure that it can remain here as long as possible at peace? There are only two ways. One, by possessing us directly if we are weak, sensitive, or sick. Or, if we are not, by possessing us through a personal object we have with us. Or, two, by making us believe that they are the person to whom we are trying to communicate, by lying and trying to convince us to allow them to stay in our dimension at least for long enough until they can find an eligible person or object to possess. <gasps> End quote. <sighs> that gives me the heebie At first I was like, I don't remember this, but the last part, the part of like, maybe they're going to be pretending until they can find something to possess. It's just... I hope that's slander. I hope that's just spirit <laughs> slander, and that's none of that's true. That's scary. That's really scary. I don't like I it. I hear that kind of thing all the time on my show where uh, it seems like something's trying to impersonate or imitate something, like a, a dead relative or something. And I, I offer that warning all the time. You know, don't trust the dead. I say I say it constantly because you, you get a story and like, oh, you know, it's it's doing things that remind me of my grandfather but it's also pushing my sister down the stairs you know so mm, probably right. not the same person and i always think back to the you know the old novel and film pet cemetery where uh you know the old man's like sometimes dead is better 
And uh, mm-hmm. in cases like that, you know, bringing when you bring something back or if you try to bring something back, you have no idea what's going to come through. You have no idea what that thing actually is. I mean, you can have intention to bring your grandpa back, but who knows what is really coming through that mirror or that portal or whatever it is that you're opening up. Um, so that that's something that I often think about, and that's a warning I, I always give my listeners when they you know present a story similar to this. Whether you believe in this stuff or not, out of safety, out of uh, your own peace of mind, I feel like it's a good mm-hmm. practice. And so now being reminded of that quote and that warning, would you guys try this game? Um, do you feel, and maybe for us, it's a little different because since we do have paranormal podcasts, we maybe are aware of some of the precautions you have to take. But do you guys think that you would still try this game of the witch's window? I have the same mentality that like a 16 year old boy has that just got his driver's license. <laughs> like you can tell him all day long, don't drive fast, you know, don't, don't show off, don't do all this stuff. You know, that's exactly what they're going to go do. So, you know, I'll tell people, you know, don't, you know, don't do all this stuff, but a hundred percent, I would, I would do this procedure and see what would come through. You know, I would experiment with it a bit, mostly because I haven't been burned yet. You know, I haven't had that negative experience that's, that's taught me don't do shit like this. You know, um, I, I don't know any better, I guess. So I, I think I would go through it out of <laughs> curiosity, uh, kind of piggybacking on what Nat said earlier. I don't know who I would bring across either. I, I don't want to bring relatives across because... It's just something unsettling about it. I don't know what it would do to them. To them. I don't know what it would do to me. I don't know what it would do, mm-hmm. do to me emotionally. Um, so just, just for my mental health, I guess, I would avoid that. But I would bring like Edgar Allan Poe across. You know, somebody that like I've looked mm-hmm. up to my entire life and want to meet or want to get further information. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's a mystery out there like JFK. Like tell us how you died, you know. <laughs> Give us some information. I, I think I'd use it for those kind of things rather than personal connection. It's funny to think of like, you know, how we were saying, oh, well, you don't know what the spirit is impersonating. It's funny to think of a bunch of different spirits at like a spirit acting school. Like, <laughs> you guys, these are the most popular people try to bring back. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe, JFK, uh, Einstein. And it's like, and then they're like, so pick someone, whoever you can impersonate, and you're this much more likely to be able to get to the <laughs> other side. And it's like the real world is like Hollywood, and they're trying to make it like by being the best actor. Oh, my God. Be, they're trying know? to sneak into a popular club or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't you know who I am? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Club Earth. Amazing. So I was correct. We're only going to have time for two games. This one is much, much shorter. But let's move on to game number two, which is called How to See Your Occult Twin. Oh, yes. Yeah. Tell me. (laughs) Mm, Doppelganger stuff. Oh, doppelganger stuff freaks me the fuck out. Um, I have at the end, we'll talk about a story that was told on our show that like I could not I like had a panic attack on our show reading this listener email about a doppelganger okay there are nearly 8 billion people in the world today each living out their own unique stories each facing their own challenges and delighting in their own triumphs despite the world's population growing exponentially with each passing year many countries report growing feelings of isolation loneliness and discontent in its individual citizens. Greek philosopher Diogenes once famously quipped of this feeling of isolation amongst the masses, saying, quote, We come into this world alone, and we die alone. 
why in life should we be any less alone? End quote. This bleak outlook on existence is often regurgitated in regional colloquialisms and even in pop culture. But what if I told you that wasn't true? What if I told you that even in your most isolated moments, you are not alone? In this next game from Indonesian folklore, you can follow a step-by-step guide to reveal your invisible paranormal companions that each of us travels through life with. Originally posted on an Indonesian website dedicated to documenting local urban legends, this paranormal game is called Chara Melihot Kumbaran Gaib Kita, which loosely translates to How to See Your Occult Twin. Now, before I read this game to you, I just want to say that anytime there's a piece of regional folklore, we like to reach out to our listeners to just verify that this is true before we run with it. And I had three Indonesian listeners respond to a post about this, and this is how they responded. So the first person I asked, I'm going to call RC because I don't want to dox anybody. And RC responded saying that they had heard of this game and they said, quote, So the Islamic Javanese myth is based on something called Sedulur Papat Kalima Panser. The most general explanation I can find is that each of us has four invisible guides of sorts and they are located in the four main points of the compass. It's there before we were born and it'll be there even after we've passed on. I think it's so we learn that we're never truly alone with whatever positive or negative implications that come with that. I guess the game is to call upon your guides just so you can really see them and ask them for their guidance in your waking activities, end quote. The next listener I reached out to who we're going to refer to as LMOC so as to not dox them responded saying that as far as they know, um, it's a pretty well-known paranormal game but probably not the most popular. But this concept, or at least a similar one, was turned into a movie in Indonesia. And they further went on to say, quote, As far as I know, it is believed that every human has an angel and a jinn. Jinn karin is the term used for the evil one, and it would tempt people to do evil things. Because it follows each human, it resembles the human. So maybe that's why it's also called a doppelganger. Some even believe that the ghost of someone is actually just their jinn karin playing tricks on the living and it's not actually the soul of the dead. End quote. Most sources that our Indonesian listeners kindly linked to me in the DMs are unfortunately not written in English and I was having some trouble with Google Translate getting to work properly. So for the purposes of the translation being used to explain how this game works, I am using an article that was written in 2020 by the ghost in my machine called The Most Dangerous Games, How to See Your Occult Twin Karamelihat Kimbaran Gaib Kita. Quote, So exactly what an occult twin is, is up for debate. Indeed, the actual translation of the term Kimbaran Gaib seems to vary. Sometimes it's translated as a cult twin, sometimes it's magical twin, sometimes it's supernatural twin, sometimes it's doppelganger. 
other times, it's specifically referred to as a quaran or jin quaran, or any number of other alternate spellings for either term. This last option is a doubling concept in Islamic beliefs, which we've talked about on this show before. A jinn is thought to be a malevolent spirit, although sometimes they can be good, who accompany humans throughout their lives and attempt to influence their actions. Or else, this term could refer to your other self, representing your innermost thoughts and feelings. Whatever the case, this occult twin, as it is called, is apparently similar to a jinn, or perhaps even related to them, but not necessarily akin to the Muslim concept of a jinn itself, which we talked extensively about. For listeners who are interested, they can go back to our episode um, on Afghan folklore, where we had an Afghan anthropologist come on our show to discuss that concept in depth. Depending on your own belief system, though, it might be more helpful to think of your occult twin as a sort of doppelganger, one who can reveal something about yourself. In that respect, you may even want to think of this ritual less as a summoning ritual and more as a meditative one. The point, it seems, is to learn something about yourself, something your conscious mind may need a little help to register. In any event, the instructions for this ritual have been making their way around the internet in Indonesia and Malaysia as true creepypasta. That is, as the exact same blocks of text copied and pasted over and over again for a considerable amount of time. It seems to come in two primary forms, with the switch between versions occurring as the ritual aged. These days, the most commonly encountered form begins one of two ways, which translates to, Have you ever heard that each of us has an occult twin? Here is how to see your magic twin. This version, which doesn't really have a narrator and consists mostly of the steps laid out as a bullet point list, seems to have surfaced around 2010 and proliferated across both social media in particular and the internet more broadly ever since. Prior to 2010, however, it took a slightly different form, one that's more narrative in its structure with full paragraphs, but colloquial speech patterns making it a classic, hey, so I heard about this from my friend, here's how it works, sort of tale. The earliest copy of this version is found in 2007 online, although it's possible that there are earlier written versions that haven't been dug up yet by the internet. Regardless, let's see how to play the game. As always, play at your own risk. Players, one. Requirements. Seven strands of your own hair. Seven clippings of your own fingernails or toenails. One lime. One pair nail scissors or clippers. A paring knife. A cutting board. One piece of white cloth. And access to an outdoor space near your own home. Instructions. Making the preparations. One. Begin at any time. 2. Gather your supplies together. 3. Spread the cloth out flat in front of you. 4. Pluck seven strands of hair from your own head and lay them across the center of the cloth. 5. Clip seven nail clippings from your own fingers or toenails. Lay them on the cloth along with the strands of your hair. 6. Roll the cloth up tightly. Hair, nail clippings, and all. Ensure that the hair and nail clippings do not escape from the rolled up cloth. 7. With the knife and cutting board, 
slice the lime in half. Eight, one at a time, squeeze the two halves of the lime over the bundle of cloth until it is soaked in lime juice. Next step, placing or preparing the bundle. One, take the bundle of cloth to your chosen outdoor space. Place the bundle somewhere within this outdoor space where it is out of sight and unlikely to be disturbed. You do not need to bury it, but make sure that it is well hidden. Two, ideally tuck it beneath a bush or a shrub. Three, ideally hide it near a fence. Four, and most importantly, make sure that you are not seen while doing this. Five, return inside and wait. Six, live your life as usual. Seven, count the nights as they go by. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven nights, including the night that you prepared and placed your bundle of cloth. Eight, on the seventh night, wait and be ready. Meeting your twin. On the seventh or eighth night, you should watch, stay alert, and be aware. Sometime during this night, your occult twin will appear to you. They may appear at any time and in any location, Regardless as to when or where they appear, however, they will always be mimicking something you have already done or copying what you are currently doing, perhaps mirroring your actions. Do not approach them, but instead observe them carefully. Make note of what they are doing. After seven minutes exactly, your occult twin will vanish. Once your occult twin has departed, retrieve the cloth bundle from its hiding place. Burn it to ashes and dispose of the remains. If you are unable to burn the cloth itself, you may unroll the cloth, burn the hair and nail clippings to ashes, and then dispose of the ashes and cloth however you see fit. Now, consider the actions you witnessed your occult twin performing when they appeared to you. What does it tell you about yourself? You must have learned something. If you have not, well, there's no helping you now. Additional notes. This ritual is best performed in and around your own home. Concerning the requirements, the lime. For best results, use a mock root lime. If mock root limes are unavailable to you, you may use any other variety that you are able to obtain, but you may not under any circumstances use a lemon, orange, or other citrus fruit besides a lime. The cloth. It may be any size and of any material. The only non-negotiable details are that it must be large enough to hold the hair and nail clippings when rolled up, and it must be white. It must be a solid white with no other colors or dyes present. A plain white handkerchief is ideal. The use of clippers is optional, but recommended. Should you choose to include them, use them in making the preparations. The outdoor space. This space must be located around your home. Ideally, it should be a garden with a fence. If a garden with a fence is not available to you, then any outdoor space near your home will do, as long as there is at least something green growing from around it, and it is possible to hide your cloth bundle in it without danger of it being disturbed. End of ritual. What do you guys think of that one? <laughs> One of the things that I thought of immediately was the fact that <clears throat> I can't think of a single story where somebody saw their own doppelganger. They probably exist, but I can't personally think of one right now. And this sort of lays out that 
plan or the, you know that series of events that's required to make that kind of thing happen. I, I don't know. I don't know if there's something to that. If there's like a, a blockage somehow, why you can't why you can't experience that, and this ritual allows you to circumvent that blockage, or you know how that works. But it's it's um, intriguing, no doubt. So I'll tell a story of a doppelganger sighting in a moment, but something I like about this ritual is it lays out the recipe to, yeah, to make something happen for you that could be like personally very relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's not like a narcissistic thing, I don't think, but I do think it's like everybody wants to know, like, is there somebody out there that looks like me? Is there somebody out there that thinks like me? Is there another version of myself in a parallel universe that made different decisions? How did their life turn out? So I think that this one is very tempting to me in particular. I love the idea of like parallel universes and, you know, going on to exist. Even if I die, maybe I still exist on a different timeline. I mm. love that idea. So I think I would be more likely to try this one than the witch's window. I don't know, Natalia, what are your thoughts on this one? I mean, I was just thinking this seems too easy. Like the other one had more <laughs> steps that seemed more difficult where this is like, I mean, you just get some of your hair and some of your toenails. Like most everyone has that uh, or, you know, it seems like I feel like, yeah, this one seems easy. But the what I was thinking about is that I got stuck on this thought of that if I have an occult twin and an occult meaning in the traditional sense, like hidden or unknown, I have an unknown twin to me, then I'm also that person's unknown twin. Right. And so effectively, mm. if they knew of this ritual, could they call me into existence, into their life? Does that make sense? <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense question. to me. And then, you know, you have these weird dreams or something where it's like, like we, the story I'm sure Alyssa's going to tell in a second where someone sees their own doppelganger, is that because that person called them into their life? And so they think like, oh my God, this is so weird. I just saw my doppelganger, but really you're that person's doppelganger. Yeah. Who's real, right? <laughs> my they head just exploded. A... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which one of us is real? If, if yeah. we, you know, that could also cause some of the existential angst we were talking about in the intro, right? Like, how important is my life in particular? Am I unique and special, or am I just one of many iterations of myself? Hmm. Hmm. There's only one you know what I thought out. was what I thought was cool about this was the use of the lime, and the reason that is is I remember maybe last season a caller called in from Appalachia somewhere, Southern Appalachia, probably uh, near Georgia, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about the, like determining whether or not your house is haunted and little oh. tricks you can do to kind of get an idea. And, I, man, I'm going to remember all these details wrong, but it was something you take lemons and you put one in each room. And the, the lemon that rots first, that's the room with the most activity. And I'm missing a step somewhere. Oh, and I wish I've listened to so many stories. I just have pieces in my brain that are all disjointed. But somehow they you, they use these lemons to determine whether or not a place is haunted. And I just when the line was brought up, I'm like, man, it must be something about citrus that yeah. has some sort of connection to the other side. And then you went on to say it has to be a lime. It can't be a lemon or an orange or grapefruit or kumquat or whatever the other <laughs> citruses are. Um so I, I don't know. There's just something about that, that little detail that, that's really sticking with me for some reason. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to look into what the symbolism is behind citrus, because 
it's almost like the same there must be like a numerology equivalent for fruit because you're right like every once in a while in some of these rituals it'll be like leave out a uh you know an apple or leave out mm-hmm. a, a lemon um i've never heard the one in particular you're talking about i love that though because how many times have we been in our studio natalia convinced that it's haunted so yeah. i should probably just cut up a lemon and place it in everyone's office and see which one goes goes bad first well i know there's like this um so i don't know if this is specific lemons but this is just what i've heard i know there's this thought like within feng shui that if you take a bowl of lemons you're supposed to put it on your um on your table like specifically citrus i've heard lemons and i've heard citrus a bowl of citrus fruits and then you're supposed to put a mirror on the wall across from it to like multiply your abundance you're always supposed to have mirrors where you eat because it multiplies abundance and specifically a bowl of citrus and i know this because my mother-in-law is like really into this stuff and she will buy bags from uh, sam's club of lemons and they all go bad and i'm like why are you like this is i'm against wasting food why are you doing this and she's like just buy more it's fine it's going to multiply your abundance and i'm like we can't eat like 30 lemons in a week you know yeah. but now that now that they're going bad i wonder if you i have shouldn't those. yeah yeah I, I've heard that same thing about feng shui. You know the the connection with citrus and a bowl of citrus. Yeah. Uh, I didn't I didn't know the mirror part, but that that is another connection. It's it's maybe we uncovered something here. Yeah. yeah there's something to it for sure. If enough people are saying something, there's got to be a grain of truth to it. So I'm just going to read my favorite listener story in recent memory that has to do with a doppelganger. Oh, hey, guys. Greetings from Australia. Longtime fan of the pod. Love hearing your listener stories. And given your recent episode on time travel, I thought I'd submit my own time travel story that happened to me about eight years ago. I was about 22 at the time and being a poor uni student was doing a lot of bar slash cafe work. I applied for a job at a bar close to my house and told a few friends about my interview. Sadly, I didn't get the job. The owner told me that my hair was a bit too vibrant, it was a bright red at the time, and I had too many piercings. Shortly after, I dyed my hair and took out the piercings so I would be able to find better employment to support myself throughout uni. The next time I went to that bar with friends, a guy came up to hit on me and said, wow, you must really love this place to be here on your night off, or do you get an employee discount? I kind of laughed it off, thinking that the reason I didn't get it was that I was just too drunk but I still thought it was strange. We hooked up casually for a few months after that, which was a whole different kind of haunted and a story for a different time. (laughs) I noticed over the next few months going there that bar staff I didn't know would give me employee discounts or free drinks, or I'd be let in without a cover charge when my friends had to pay. One of them made my favorite drink once, but I swear I had never even tasted it before. Weirdly, it is now my favorite drink though. I used to get physical payslips back then, and my housemates told me once that my payslip had come in the mail. There on my bed was an envelope with my name and address with the return address of that bar, that same bar that had never hired me. I opened the envelope, which was still sealed, but there was nothing inside. I put the envelope on my desk, and I never saw it again. Being young and working minimum wage, I really didn't question these things too much. We had an inside joke about me having a doppelganger who worked at the bar, ha ha, but I didn't want the free drinks to stop coming, so I just never corrected anybody. I did notice, though, that whenever we went to that bar, I had this weird underlying sense of anxiety. 
I would sometimes even have full-on panic attacks where I'd have the sudden urge to go outside and I couldn't calm myself down until I did. Again, I just attributed this to that adrenaline rush from drinking and dancing. One night, the same guy who hit on me that first night messaged me on social media saying how fucked up it was that I'd treated him like a total stranger just because I was working. This was what tipped my curiosity over the edge. So I caught a bus to the bar to confront him in person. I sent him a message telling him to stay where he was, that I would be there in 20 minutes. As I approached, someone ran a red light and hit the bus I was on, so I never made it to the bar. About a week later, I tried again. I didn't tell anyone where I was going, I just jumped onto the bus. I had to get off one stop later and walk because the bell where I was sitting didn't work as I tried to alert the bus driver to stop at the bar. This was becoming annoying to me. Why couldn't I get to the bar? So I walked about one kilometer back. I was determined to figure this out once and for all. The bar was closed and there was minimal lighting inside. I started to get that same horrible feeling of anxiety again but I fought through it and peered through the window. There, standing at the bar, polishing wine glasses, was me. It had to be me. I know there are similar looking people in the world, but this was me. Same height, same build, same face, bright red hair and multiple piercings. I stumbled backward a bit and stubbed my toe. I yelled fuck in pain before sitting down on the ground outside the window to see the damage. The person behind the bar must have heard me and ran up to the window to see who was outside. And we looked at each other for what I would say were about two to three seconds, but it felt like hours. I would say I wish I could see my face, but I could. It was her face. Her face was my face, and she looked terrified. I felt myself start to cry. I couldn't help it. It was a fear unlike anything I've ever known, but completely calm at the same time somehow. She looked down at my foot and gasped, and I looked down too. My nail had fully lifted, and there was a pool of blood around my ankle. I looked back up, and she was gone. After that, I never went back to that bar. A couple of my friends will still say to me, Hey, remember that time that you worked at that bar? And I sort of just ignore it because I never know what to say to them. I have always thought that that job interview must have just been a fork in the space-time road for me or something. But I couldn't begin to explain or understand it. So many people can tell you still today that they swear that I worked there. But there are also a good handful of people who probably could tell you that I didn't work there. I didn't get the job. If so many people saw her, did she enter my universe? Or have the conversations about working at that bar all occurred in her universe? Do I still, today, slip into her world where I kept my red hair and piercings? I guess I'll never have an answer, but I firmly believe that there are multiple universes existing side by side, and that occasionally, someone falls through the cracks. BRB, gotta go collect that paycheck from my other self. Love you both and keep up the amazing content. XXX, Tem. Wow. Once again, I'm proven wrong. Uh, <laughs> I guess people do see their own doppelganger. But I will point out that 
it seemed really difficult for her to get to that point where they did interact. You know, it's, it was foiled several times, it seemed like. Um, yeah. So maybe maybe there's a force out there that, that's actively keeping these two people apart, or trying to at least. That's what I thought. And she's actually coming on our show um, for one of our Halloween specials to tell her story. But it's a pretty amazing story. Yeah, the universe was trying really hard to keep her away from that bar and away from that girl. And against the odds, she ended up finding that person. And when I got the chance to talk to her in person, I asked her, did you ever see that girl again? Or did anybody, like the guy that you dated, did anybody ever report seeing that girl again at the bar? And she said, no. After that night, it's like that girl just didn't exist anymore. And it seemed like she got punished for making that connection, too, because she hurt her foot. She was bleeding everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were ramifications for her actions. Definitely. Pretty wild. Well, guys, that is the end of Paranormal Games to Play in the Dark, Volume 5. Natalia, I know you have to run because you have work today, but I'd like to invite Derek to just give us his final thoughts before doing our sign-off. Whew, uh, thoughts on any of these or anything, anything that popped up for you, any, anything that you stuck out to you that you thought was interesting, which one did you like the best? Will you try one of them? My first thought is I didn't even think about these existing, you know, I knew about Bloody Mary or Light as a Feather, but I didn't even think about there being others out there that aren't as popular. So that's, that's a wrinkle right there. Uh, that makes a lot of this interesting. I do want to try some of this stuff, frankly. I mean, that's that's how I learn things. That's how I experience things. You try them out, you know, give it a shot and see what happens. It seems like there's a bit of cautionary uh, advice in both of these stories. You know, maybe you shouldn't do this sort of thing. So that does give me a bit of pause, but I'm a hopeful skeptic, which means that I'm going to do anything I can to try to experience this stuff to see if it's real or not. So I'll take one for the team and, and maybe try one of these out. I don't know that I want to see myself. I'm, mirrors are not my friend, so uh, I think I'll try the first one. I'll take my chances with the long-armed monster uh, reaching out of the mirror, you know. And that was one thing I did think about that is uh, out of arm's reach, they said to put that chair. But whose arms are they talking about? Because you have <laughs> right. no idea what's on the other side. It could have eight-foot arms for all I know. So right. what should the you? What, what's the rule there? It could be the Kraken. Yeah. It could be Slenderman. Yeah, it could we be Mothman for all we know, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Slenderman has long arms, doesn't he? Well, where can people find your show if they want to pop on over there? Because for those who don't know, I am also going to be on an episode of Monsters Among Us that you guys can tune into. And that will be linked in the show notes. Um, But where can people find you if they don't already know? Well, you can find Monsters Among Us anywhere you find podcasts. We release every Thursday. Uh, We're actually on hiatus right now, but we're coming back October 5th with the uh, terrifying Trucker Tales Part 2 story. So it's all tales of truck drivers, uh, delivery drivers, that kind of thing. And you hear Mm. some really strange stuff from the road. So I'm really looking forward to that episode. Um, Yeah, but basically you can find us anywhere you find a podcast. You can follow us on social media, uh, that sort of thing. And if I may, I do have a film coming out. Um, yes. We don't have a release date for streaming, but it's in theaters of uh, different parts of the country. If you go to borregotriangle.com, it's a movie about a window area here in Southern California that uh, a friend of mine, David Flora, host of Blurry Photos podcast, uh, and I put together over the past couple of years. And we're about to release, well, we've already released theatrically. We're about to release on streaming here later this fall. That's awesome. Congratulations. Wow. I know that's a lot Thank of work. You a ton of work mm-hmm. and if I'd known I might not have made a film <laughs> it's that much <laughs> work but amazing. we're very proud of it and we're very happy with the way it turned out so uh, we're excited to get it in front of people 
That's incredible. Awesome. Well, we'll have all of the links in the show notes. Derek, I don't know if you're familiar with our sign off, but I don't know if you remember the AIM days, the AOL Messenger days, but do, yes. people used to always say um, BRB G2G. And so that is our sign off. It's BRB gotta go. And then a callback to something that stuck out to you earlier in the episode. So Natalia, do you want to give an example before Derek gives it a go? Sure. Uh, like BRB gotta go get a white cloth and some nail clippers. BRB, gotta go find my favorite drink from my doppelganger. Bye!